We are officially in my least favorite time of the year. The holidays are over, football is over, and the weather is really rough right now on Long Island. Um, no one woke up Saturday morning and was like, yes, three days of snow. This has been so amazing. I love these freezing temperatures. Maybe you're like me and in the middle of a snowstorm, you take out the weather app and you see that it's 85 in Miami and you're like, why do I live on Long Island? They have churches in Miami too, right? Or you're out there and you're shoveling and like me, you're like, maybe global warming's not that bad of an idea. <laughs> I'm just joking, don't send me any angry emails about that. But even if we did move somewhere warmer, it would have some issues too. We, I had a neighbor who moved to Florida and they were telling me about these poisonous frogs that they have in Florida that were killing little dogs. So even if you move to Florida, there's gonna be some issues. They also have a lot of snakes in Florida. I do not do snakes, so that's gonna be a major issue. So even if you move somewhere else, there would be some difficult things. And I wanna to talk to you today about my title, Even If. What happens in life when God doesn't do what we think he should do? Do we still follow him? Do we still love him when things don't happen the way that we want them to or the way that we think they should look? See, who is really God in that scenario? You are God. You know, his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. The foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men and he knows things that we know and sees things that we can't see. And it's so important that we let God be on the throne in our lives. And I hope to try and help you today because fear creeps in during the what ifs in life. All of us have what ifs right now? What if this happens or what if that happens? What, where will I go next? What will I do next? It's so easy for these fears to creep in. But what if you could say, even if during the what ifs of life, even when fear is so loud inside of your mind? I think the perfect picture of fear is Goliath in the Bible. He comes out and he taunts the camp of God of Israel every single day before a big war was supposed to happen. And he throws threats at them. And the whole camp, the whole army is filled with fear. No one will stand up to this giant. Some of us have some giants in our life, some, some fear that has been throwing taunts and accusations at us lately. And some of us have just been bowing to that fear in our life. We just feel so controlled by it. It feels like it goes everywhere that we go. Probably about 10 years ago now, a bunch of us went to go play laser tag and Andrew was with us. And as soon as we got to the laser tag place, there were these group of 10-year-old boys that followed Andrew every single where he went during laser tech. It was like their mission in life was to ruin his day. And so he would have like his get up on and they would walk right up to him and start shooting it. I thought he was going to punch them in the face, but he's too much of a man of God to do that, right? But they literally followed him everywhere that he went. Sometimes fear feels like that, right? It doesn't matter where you go. It follows you, wakes you up in the middle of the night. Fear can be so completely overwhelming. And when we're stressed and overwhelmed, we run to something. It's just natural for us as humans. Some of us run to Amazon and start ordering stuff we don't really need. Some of us run to our vices and addictions to try and numb the pain. Just even for a moment, we go to broken places 
We go to places that we know won't satisfy us, places we know won't make us happy, but we just want to get a little bit of an escape, even for a moment. Some of us run to anger, and we unleash on everyone around us when things in life get difficult and fear is running wild. What do you run to in those moments? What do you go to? I hope to help you with this this morning. How does our faith respond in moments like this? How, how should we pray? How should we believe? Well, we're going to look at a portion of Scripture today in Daniel chapter 3. And I need to give you a little bit of context before we jump into our story because we're jumping into the middle of it. Israel, uh, God's people, the Hebrews, have just been taken over by King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. They have taken the strongest and the bravest and the, and the smartest Hebrew children. And their whole goal, goal is to manipulate them. It's to brainwash them into Babylonian culture, to make them the best servants that King Nebuchadnezzar has ever had. Babylon is the superpower in the world right now. Our story takes place with three Hebrew boys by the name of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They were from the tribe of Judah, most likely descendants of King David, some theologians speculate. See, you don't know them by their Hebrew names. You probably know them by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They found favor with the king in everything they did because God was with them. They didn't eat like all the other servants. All the other servants indulged in the king's meats and wines, but they refused. And that's where the Daniel fast actually came from because these boys refused to eat what the king had wanted them to. And they were found to be stronger and healthier than any of the other men. And they had found much favor in the sight of King Nebuchadnezzar. And that's where our story picks up in Daniel chapter three. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and six cubits wide, and set it out on the plain of Dura in the providence of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, and judges, magistrates, and all the other officials to come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. He sets up this giant gold statue that is 90 feet high and nine feet wide. This thing is massive. King Nebuchadnezzar feels like he is a god because of the way that his kingdom has advanced and taken over the world. He loves himself. He loves himself more than Kanye loves Kanye. He thought himself to be a god in many ways. And Babylon was the superpower of the world. Let's continue in verse four. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship in the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So he has this giant statue set up, and when the music plays, everyone must bow down to it. Otherwise, they will be thrown into the fiery furnace. Can I ask you a question this morning? What do you do when the music plays in your life? 
when that sound of temptation breaks free in your life? What have you been bowing to lately? See, we all are bowing to something. Either we're bowing to God or other things in our life. What circumstance have you been bowing to? Have you been bowing to fear lately when those thoughts run wild in your mind? See, they want to be your God. They want to control you and your thoughts and your actions. Anger would love to control some of us when the music plays in our life. It would love to tell us that we are justified in the way that we act, but really it just wants us to bow to it. Sin wants us to bow to it, to make it our God. Pain wants us to bow to it. Some of you have been hurting for a very long time. You've been going through something really difficult and pain on many levels has become your God and you bow to that instead of the king of your life instead of your savior, savior. And I don't say this in a judgmental way. I have gotten this wrong so many times in my life. I still get this wrong so much. But it's so easy when the music plays in our life, when that temptation hits to bow to the wrong thing. Let's continue in our story. At this time, some astrologers came forward and demanded the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down to worship will be thrown into the blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. They are in the exact situation that got God's people in trouble in the beginning. This was the temptation all along. It's, it's your temptation. It's my temptation. It's will we bow to other things in our life besides God? That's why Babylon was able to take over God's people. It was because they were bowing to idols, to things that they had made instead of the one true God. And here, the boys are given the same exact temptation, but they refuse to bow. Here's what we need to remember about their story is that they were just teenagers at this time. One theologian says this, he chose such as were young because they were pliable and tractable and would forget their own people. Teenagers are very impressionable. They take in everything around them. One thing that I have seen over and over again with teenagers is that they just want to fit in. They want to be like everyone else but not these boys. These boys have not forgotten their home. They have not forgotten their God and they refuse to bow. You know, at one point or another, we're all gonna be given this choice. Will we bow to what culture is setting in front of us? And more than ever, it's sneaky in the ways that it attacks the church. It, 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 it's deceptive in its nature. And I, and I want to be careful as I say what, everything I'm about to say, but there's going to come a point where we have to make a decision. Will we bow to what culture is telling us or will we stand for what God says in Scripture? And that's a difficult moment. These boys knew what it was going to cost them and it probably will cost us something as well. But we have a decision to make. Is God really our God or not? 
And this is really hard. I see this at work in our culture right now. I, I hate, I hate everything about cancel culture. It's prominent right now. And that is anti-Jesus. Jesus did not come to cancel. He came to give life and life more abundantly. And you know what? As a church, we have decisions to make. As individuals, as followers of God, we have choices to make. And we can't run from the cost sometimes. We have to believe that our God is with us. And we can stand our ground. Verse 13 Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, It is true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up. Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, and harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I have made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? This is not different than the threats that we hear all the time. This is not different than how fear speaks to us all the time. It's bow to me or you'll die. Bow or this will be the end of this or it will be the end of that. It will be the end of you. And he says at the end, what God will be able to rescue you from my hands. Isn't that exactly what fear says? Fear says, you know, God has rescued you so many times. You're done. You're out of chances. God is done with you. This is the time that you've messed up too far. You've done too much wrong. What God could possibly save you? You know, the exact opposite is true. All the times that God has saved you in your past are a testimony of why he's not gonna give up on you in your future. And so when fear tells you that God has done saving you, you remind fear of all that God has already done in your life, all that he has already brought you through. And you remind fear of the God that has already saved you once before. These boys had some reasons. If, if you ask me, these boys had some reasons probably to be unsure in their faith right now. Their home is destroyed. They'll probably never see their, their parents ever again. Some of their friends they'll probably never see again. Everything has been taken from them. They're going through something incredibly difficult right now. It would be almost easy to see in the story if they were wavering a little bit, but we see the exact opposite. We see that they stand firm in their faith, even though they had reasons maybe to be unsure in what they were believing. Many of you are going through some really difficult things today. And maybe you're saying, Joey, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I'm going through today. I, I don't, and I probably can't relate to a lot of it. But I know that these boys went through something really difficult too. And they probably had suffered in some deep ways. See, we look at the story as a whole, but we don't see them moment to moment every day as they were living out their life as slaves, as servants. So what they must have been feeling, what they must have been going through. So much of our Christian stories, when we tell testimonies, we give the grand picture, right? But we don't always tell people about the moment by moment stuff. And I just wonder what these boys were going through moment by moment. But you know what? They still chose to stand their ground. And I know what you're going through today is hard. 
but you have reasons to stand your ground, to be strong in your faith today. You don't have to bow to all of these other things in your life, especially fear. Let's go to the next verse. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hands. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. This is so incredibly profound. I love how they answer the king. Because sometimes, as Christians, when we are making a stand against something that we know is wrong, we can be really harsh about it. We can be angry, and we can come off in a way that wants, the world will want nothing to do with us if we respond in that way. But I love how they respond. They respond with humility, but strength. They respond by calling him majesty, but they will not call him the king of their lives. They are gracious in their correction. And that is how we should be when culture tries to get us to bow to its different thoughts and its different ideas. We graciously decline in a way that they see that there's something different about us when we make a stand. And I know it's easy to give into anger in those moments when we're making a stand where we feel attacked left and right. These boys' life was on the line and they still talk to the king in a gracious manner, but it is also a firm manner and they are not moving their ground. There is something there for us Christians to take in. You know, I love the reply in, in every sense. So let's continue just to work through it. He says, God is able to deliver us from it. So they know God is strong enough that he is powerful enough to get them through this. And they believe wholeheartedly that he will deliver them from it. It's not even a thought in their mind. They believe that they will be delivered from this fiery furnace. And then they say, but even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we still will not bow, even if we will still not bow. Some people may look at that and see that as a cop-out, right? That, that they're saying, all right, even if it doesn't happen, we're still not going to bow. But maybe their faith wasn't that strong. No, no, no. That is a testimony of how strong their faith really was by saying what they did right then and there, because they believed with everything inside of them that God was going to deliver them. But they were just still saying, even if for some reason our God who is greater than us who is stronger than us, is wiser than us, decides not to deliver us from this, we still will not bow to you. We have seen too much. He is our savior. He is our God and we love him. Our lives are his and we still will not bow. It wasn't a cop out. It was a testimony of their faith. See, faith knows that God can, believes that he will and trust him even if he doesn't. Let me say that again. Faith knows that God can, and believes that he will and trusts him even if he doesn't. This has been a foundation for my prayer life. When I'm praying through a difficult situation where there is something that is way bigger than me, I stand by these words over and over again. I know that God is able. I, I know that he can. And I believe, and I truly believe that he will. But if he doesn't, 
But if he doesn't, I trust him. I trust him. And that is not a cop-out. That is a statement of faith that my God is greater than my trial. He is greater than the difficulty that I am facing. And even if this thing stays in my path, I still will not bow. I will not give in. So incredibly powerful. Verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The fire was made seven times hotter throughout scripture. That's noted as a number of perfection. So this fire could not have been any hotter than it was right here for these boys. And the men that are going to throw them in, scripture tells us right here that they were the strongest that King Nebuchadnezzar had. As they get close to the fire, they are burned up. I wonder what the boys were thinking at this moment. I wonder what was going through their mind. When I, when I read scripture, I picture it. I, I, I try to live through it. Verse 23, and, three men, and the three men firmly tied fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth, the fourth looks like a son of God. There was a fourth man in that fire that day. And I want to tell you today that in the middle of your fire, in the middle of your trial, whatever you are going through today, there is a fourth man. There is another person with you in that fire. Scripture and theologians um, debate on who this fourth man was. Some believe it was an angel. Others believe it might have been Jesus actually in the fire with him. I just, I just wonder if Nebuchadnezzar was divinely inspired by God in those moments, as he says, it looks like a son of God in the fire, because we know that there would be a son of God that would come and save us all from the fire one day. And so they see this fourth man walking around, and, and they're taken back in amazement. And, and we assume something about this verse, and it is true. It, it is true. We assume because the boys didn't burn up that God was with them. And th th that is, that is 100% true. If it, God was not with them, they would have burned up. But I think the opposite is true too, in, in this way. I think that if that fire consumed the boys, I think they still would have seen a fourth man for a second. I think that God would have been with them regardless of the outcome of the situation. The boys had decided that they would not bow to anything that they would not give in. And sometimes in life, sometimes in life, God delivers us from the fire. And sometimes he delivers us through the fire. And in this instance, God delivered them from the fire. The fire did not destroy them. But there are other times in life where God will deliver us through the fire. 
And when he delivers you through the fire, it does not mean that he is not with you. It actually, on the contrary, probably means that he is all around you. He is surrounding you in the middle of what you are going through today. As some of you sit here, I know that you have been going through the fire for a very long time in your life. And God is with you even if your situation is going through the fire. He is surrounding you today. Something that preachers say all the time is, is that God's presence is, is, is with you when you hurt, when, when you suffer. And it is true, and I want you to grasp today how incredibly true that really is. He is all around you. It is the strength inside of you when you feel like you can't go on another day. He is carrying you in moments when you feel like you are about to give in and you are about to crumble into a million pieces, but somehow, somehow you make it through another day. That is God's presence surrounding you, giving you strength in ways that you don't even see and understand yet. And maybe one day when you look out back on your life, you will see in a better way, but he is with you right now. You know, those men who were throwing the boys into the fire, they couldn't even get close to the trial that was set before them. I wonder, I, ju I just wonder if we would just take in for a second how much God has already done for us. That the fact that we're even going through it the way that we are, the fact that we're still breathing, the fact that you're sitting in church, the fact that you're watching online is a testament that God is with you. And he's not gonna forget about you. You haven't been burned up yet. God is still by your side and he will deliver you through the fire one way or another. That's why the boys said earlier on, majesty, God is going to deliver us from your hand one way or another. God is very close in the middle of your hurting today. This isn't just for these three boys. He sees what you're going through. He hears your cries. He knows what's going on. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. My prayer for you this morning, what I've been praying all week, is that there wouldn't even be a hint of smoke on you. As God delivers you one way or another, that you would know that he's with you, that his peace that passes understanding would guard you today, that you would know that he is God. He sees what you are going through today. He gets it, and he is in control. And if we could see what he sees, if we could understand what he understands, we would want the same for our lives. Here's what I want you to know, is that genuine faith knows that God can, believes that he will, and trusts him, even if he doesn't. And so when you pray, you believe that God is able with everything inside of you, and you believe that it is going to happen, but you also trust him. You trust him that even if he doesn't, He's still God and he's still good. And even if he doesn't, I will not bow to fear. I will not bow to that pain. 
Jesus has already saved me from life and death. And the reason why we can talk about this, the reason why we can say that is because this life is not all there is. It's so easy to get caught up in everything that's going around us right now. But church, we have to set our eyes to something greater constantly. Our eyes are on the day where every tear, when every pain is washed away and things are made right. That's why we will never bow to anything else because this small life that we live right now in in the focus of eternity, it's it's so small, it's minimal compared to what awaits us. That's why we never bow. And so no matter what you're going through today, you can have faith and you do not have to bow to anything else in your life besides God. He is with you. He will give you all that you need. He will deliver you one way or another. What do you do after a moment like this in your life? Because I know some of you have already been through so much. God has delivered you through so much in your life. You've had moments like this, maybe not to this scale, but you've had moments where God has delivered you. If I ask everyone to raise their hand, I'm sure most people in the room right now would raise their hand that God has delivered them one way or another at some point in their life. And even as a church, we've been through this with our pastor. We, we've seen a great, amazing breakthrough and testimony of God's power. Well, what do you do now? Because this is what happens, is life continues. And we so easily forget what God has done. We get distracted by everything else around us. Well, in Joshua chapter four, the people have just crossed over the Jordan River. And God tells the people to take a stone and place it by the river. And and every person does that. And they basically build a monument. And God says, every time someone passes over the Jordan River, they will remember what I have done. So this is what we do. We build monuments in our hearts when God does something like this for us. And we never forget them. So the next time we're faced with another fiery furnace in our life, we remember what God has already done in our past. And that is firm ground for us to stand upon. You build those monuments over and over. I have built them in my heart. And so when I feel fear come on and say, God's not gonna save you again. This is it. You've gone too far this time. This is it. He's done with you. And fear tries to creep in. I remind myself. I go back to those monuments that I've built in my heart. You you write them down for generations, for, for your children and for your children's children. And one day they will stand upon that ground. I know that because... I oftentimes look back at some of the monuments that my grandfather wrote down and I read them and my faith is strengthened when I do that. When I see how God was so faithful to him in the darkest moments of his life, I remember the faithfulness of God and I stand on that. And you will need to do the same for your family, for generations to come down the line. You never know what God could use. So you build those monuments in your heart and you share them and you write them down. I've already began to share this monument, so many monuments in my heart with my daughters. And I want that to be a part of their life so that they remember the faithfulness of God and that they can see it throughout the generations. But what I wanted you to see today is that you don't have to bow to anything else. God is with you and he will give you the strength. Last time I spoke, I spoke about Lazarus and it was something that I really felt strongly that God wants to speak about. It was all about God raising the dead back to life and healing the dead parts of us. And, and 
That is fully true, and I believe that with every part of me, just like in that, that bottom line statement I gave, gave you. Um, I got an email from a woman in the church whose daughter we prayed for for a really long time, and she ended up losing her daughter, and she ended up telling me how much that message truly meant to her, how God had begun to heal that Lazarus in her heart. And she said something in the letter that was so profound that, that moved my faith in deep ways. And I knew the next time I spoke, I needed to speak about this. She said, Joey, God delivered us through the fire. This is a woman who is still healing, but spoke such profound, bold words of faith to me that that moved my faith, that I knew what needed to be spoken about next. And I want you to know that that God will deliver you from the fire, that he will one way or another. Some way he del- sometimes he delivers us from it and sometimes he delivers us through it, but he is always with us and he will give us all that we need and we do not have to bow to anything else. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for your church. Thank you for the people that are here, Lord. And I, and I know, God, that this is, sometimes can be heavy, heavy when we are wrestling with deep things going on in our life tonight. And I thank you that you care and you love Jesus so deeply. But I pray today, God, our faith would rise up like never before, that we would have the same kind of faith as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God, that we would look at the fiery furnace and we would refuse to bow. God, that we would stand our ground firm in our faith, Lord, because you have done so much for us and you are still doing so much for us. Thank you, God, that you always have had a plan for us and this life is just the beginning, Lord. I pray that we would set our eyes towards eternity. I pray, God, as life gets difficult and and culture pushes things on us, God, that we would stand firm, God, that we would know that you are always with us, Jesus. Help us to do it in a way that would bring you honor, Lord that would build up your church instead of tear it apart. God, we need your grace and your mercy today, Lord. God, we have bowed to the wrong things. I have bowed to the wrong things time and time again. And we repent today, Jesus, where we're sorry for the things that we have given into, Lord. Would you heal our hearts? Would you breathe fresh life into us today, Lord? We, we wanna start again. Would you bring new life to us like never before, Jesus? Give us great faith, God, to see many mountains moved, Lord. I pray in our time, in our generation, that we would see mountains move, Lord. But when you say no, that we would say we still will not bow to the mountain. Our God is too great. He is too powerful. And he has already done so much for us. We love you, Jesus. pray all these things in your name.